Welcome to Dark Horse Matters, the show about people, their passions, and their pursuit toward happiness. I'm Bev Matayoshi, your host, and my passion is talking to people about their passions and people of all different walks of life, different backgrounds, and they all have one thing in common, and that's their passion and what their, that energy that gets them up in the morning and drives that fire to go after their dreams you know like it's so important and if you're the kind of person that doesn't have doesn't know what that purpose is yet it's okay like you don't have to beat yourself up about not knowing yet because everybody has their time you know where they discover it but my um my intent is to get you to be open to the idea because if you're not open and you're always worrying about comparing yourself to others or whatnot, you don't know, you know, like if you're not open to it, it could hit you right between the eyes and you won't even recognize it. But my purpose here is to get you to open up and just be ready because when you are open like that, you will know it, it, you're going to see it manifest in all these different ways and it feels amazing and I'm just so excited for you and I'm hoping that this show will inspire that in you as well. So if you're a returning viewer, thank you so much for the support, you know, and if something resonates with you, write it in the comments, you know, start a community discussion about how important this subject is. And if you are new, hit the subscribe, the bell, the likes, you know, um, and share it with your friends because uh, it's just such an amazing journey that I've experienced, you know, talking to all these different people. So thank you so much. Um, today, uh, I have a very uh, unique situation that brought my guest to the show today. Um, I was introduced him, introduced to him by a very dear friend, Tane Tucker. If you scroll down in the videos, I have interviewed her previously on my show so you'll know who she is but she her best friend one of her really really close friends by the name matt callahan who was a very inspiring artist very talented artist he tragically and died a couple years ago in 2018 just due to the evil entity of anger and violence and, and nobody deserves to go out that way but um i was just so touched and you know just touched by the story and it, it's a story that haunts it's kind of haunting and inspiring at the same time um and i can't wait for my guest to share with you his unique connection to this man matt callahan um and with that being said without further ado i'd like to introduce you to david mendelson thanks bev Actually, just so, just to correct, uh, I do go by my full name, which is David Mendelson Curry. So just want to acknowledge that. Um, I think my email says David Mendelson is how that ended up that way. Okay. But thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for being a guest on this show. Um, I, you know, this is the first time I'm meeting you. You know, we've never met before. I've just heard about you through Tanae. And I remember she was just like talking to me about you in like a video text and i remember just crying like just, you know like the, the the reason why you're here the story that we're going to uncover today is just a heart-wrenching but also heartwarming situation at the same time so um before we get into all of that david can you tell the audience where you're from and you know what was it like growing up there okay well i'm from la though 
when I was 25, I moved to Seattle. Their, one of their games is today, which is why I'm wearing my Seahawks jersey. <laughs> but I grew up in Los Angeles, and that was unique in the sense that, you know, I grew up gay, and I grew up with a family that was very accepting of that. And I was lucky that I had gone to a high school that was very big on the arts. They were very liberal politically. So I wasn't necessarily completely out in high school. This is back in the mid eighties, but it still allowed me the freedom to be who I really am, to be my true self growing up in that environment. You know, being so close, I was in a suburb near Pasadena but I was close to areas where I could get connections with other gay youth and other artists as well. So it was, it was a great place to grow up. But then after the LA riots in 92, I'd had enough of the big, big city and decided to move to a smaller city, which was Seattle. And then I just spent most of my adulthood there. And um, both cities are unique and both were a great place to be an artist. Yes, you know, I, I spent a lot of time in Los Angeles. I lived half my life there right after high school. I grew up in Hawaii, but um, after high school, I moved to LA. And funny enough, my my twin sister lives in Seattle right now. And I just, I've only been there once, but I just remember it being a, a very artsy place to visit. And I loved it. It was very, it was very inspiring and just visually um, stimulating. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So um, can you tell us, like, how long have you been an artist, like, and what inspired you to be artistic? Or have you always been artistic? I think I've always been artistic as far back as I can remember. Uh, my parents were very encouraging with my art. I would, you know, scribble like any kid would, you know, every, every kindergartner is an artist. And then something changes probably around second, third grade. I think at that point is when teachers tell us, you know, no, you're coloring outside the lines or no, you're not doing it right. But I was lucky that in my family, it's like, oh yeah, that that's a dragon that looks like, that's great. That's a great dragon. So I was very lucky with that. So my parents helped uh, me with my art. They would, like Christmas, it was always, you know, my brothers would get, you know, books or puzzles or whatever was popular in the late seventies. And I would end up with, you know, a colored pencil set or a watercolor set. So they really encouraged me. I think also my parents were very creative themselves. They weren't necessarily artists, but they were very into like at Christmas. Our front yard was always super decorated and not just lights. It was like one, one time my dad built a gazebo. And growing up near Pasadena, we had access to the Rose Parade float barns. Ah. And at the end of the year, or at the end of the, the parade year, which would be the end of January, they would throw out old pieces of Rose Parade float. And we lived in walking distance to a place called Fiesta Floats. So my dad would dumpster dive and get pieces of, of Rose Parade floats, which if you've seen the Rose Parade, it's very elaborate. And one year he pulled out these Walt Disney, Disneyland small world figurines, but they were huge. They were bigger than real people. And he built a gazebo for the front yard and stuck the figures there and, and re, you know, scraped off all the old dead flowers that were decorating them and painted them and made them into dancing children. And then he played music box music over stereo speakers at like 
the cord ran out the window of the front of the living room and he put like you know those those 1970s giant speakers in the front yard to play music box music and people would drive by and take pictures and every year it was something like that something just immense in the front yard and that creativity just was instilled in me at a very young age and uh, again back to my high school we had film class we had painting sculpture uh, metalwork I mean very few high schools today even have that kind of art program and so I was just very lucky that I lived in an artistic community with artistic family artistic parents and just kind of kept going with it throughout my whole life. That's amazing. And it's, I love, you know, I love being creative. I've always been a creative person myself. And, you know, like I'm thinking about my parents, my dad, I don't know how creative he was. He was very smart and he could fix anything. Mm -hmm. But my mom, she was an artist. She, she was a fashion design, like she, she was a seamstress. So she did a lot of fashion designing. Oh, wow. And so she was very, like, she would do weddings, the bridesmaids and everything, you know, like it, it was elaborate, the stuff that she would do. With, and I, I thought that was very artistic also. As far as now, like the kind of art, what kind of art are you into creating now? Oh, okay. Yeah, I do. Uh, I'm a painter mostly now. I still do creative stuff. Last year, I built a 25 foot tall, Walt Disney World, Cinderella Castle in my front yard. Wow. It took two and a half years to build. <laughs> so that was like our Christmas decoration last year was this giant castle. So I guess you, you, I, you kept that whole I, legacy going I on with your dad. Yeah, my, my parents have since passed. But, you know, keeping their legacy going was important to me. And, you know, yard displays. Every year we have something big in our yard. We recently moved to a new house. So I don't know what I'm doing this year. Probably just some lights, but I love it. It's a fun thing to do for the neighborhood. The kids come by, they take pictures. We've always done stuff like that. But now I'm a painter. So I do uh, generally 30 by 40 canvases. So they're very large paintings. And there's one like right here behind me that you can kind of see. And I can kind of tilt it up. It's a very big Ah. painting. Uh, It looks very pop art. It is. I do very much. That's my style is pop art. and also more uh, propaganda art, like socialist posters. And when people think that, they think, oh, communism. Well, no, I mean, Uncle Sam is social media. It's uh, it's what we had before Facebook. It's what we had before computers. Rosie the Riveter. So it's that style that I really enjoy. It's called um, social realism, but it's also very pop art and... I just like the the bright colors, the use of words in my yes, art. Yes, I love that. It's like a poster yeah. almost. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, so that that's I'm just really passionate about that. So I've always done, you know, posters that include either some form of architecture or some form of, uh, you know, bears are big in my mind. I use bears because my nickname is Bear, so I use <laughs> that a lot. But generally, um, it's acrylic on campus is what I'm working with right now. Okay. Well, I'm I'm really excited to see more of your stuff. So I don't know. Do you have like a place where people can go to see some of your portfolio? Yeah, I have it all on um, my cheesy little website. I built it with Wix. So it's uh, 
you know, it's not something that's really expensive to do. It's a free website builder, but it's brush legacy studio dot wix site so w-i-x-s-i-t-e.com okay i have my current portfolio there including a lot of art that is sold and is um currently my art is found anywhere from seattle phoenix chicago miami people from all over the country have bought it i wish i could say worldwide but i don't have any pieces outside of the united states right now Wow, that's amazing. I can't wait to look at and, and, and experience more of your artwork because just that one piece that I'm seeing behind you looks pretty awesome. So, David, I, I want to ask you, have you heard about Matt Callahan prior to your connection with him? And we'll get into that still, but um, did you ever hear about him and his murals prior? Uh, you know, the weird thing is I had seen his murals. I lived, I had a, when I first moved to Tampa from Seattle, actually I lived briefly in Fort Lauderdale and then moved to Tampa and I had a condo in Channelside. And there were a couple times where I saw a gentleman painting a mural in Channelside, later on found out that that was Matt Callahan. And I had just walked by him on my daily walks through the neighborhood. And then of course I had, I was right there at uh, Splitsville the bowling alley uh, slash bar slash restaurant and his artwork, his murals are all over the walls on the alleys in the restaurant. So I was familiar with his work. And then I have a, a very good friend. His name is Art Smith, Chef Art Smith. He owns a restaurant at Walt Disney World at Disney Springs. And he was a friend of Matt's and he had Matt do a mural at his restaurant. So if you ever go to Homecoming Restaurant in Disney Springs, Matt's mural is along the top of the kitchen. So as soon as you walk in the restaurant, all the picture of the orange groves, the beautiful birds, that's Matt Callahan's work. And visiting art one day, I had my picture taken in front of that mural, but I did not know it was Matt Callahan. I did not know who Matt was at that time. Wow, that's that's a little eerie, but um, so now I just kind of want to, you know, open up to the audience, like what, from your point of view, did you hear about Matt, like what happened to him on that well, it, very tragic night? Yeah, it was, it was very tragic, and I heard about it on the day he died, uh, which was Friday the 13th, April 13th, 2018, and my husband, Ty, and our uh, family member, Ben, had gone to Atlanta to a conference. And we had just gotten a new car. Like Monday, we got the new car. It was a Dodge Charger. And Thursday, they took that car. They said, you know, rather than fly, we're going to drive to Atlanta and go to this conference. So they went together. But I was sick at the time and could not travel. So I stayed home. And I was, ironically... It was the day I had started building the castle that I just talked about, that 25-foot castle. So I was in the garage, and I had been working on it, and I had the radio going, and I heard a news story that a famous mural artist, Matt Callahan, had died. And what I knew about it from what they said in the story, there had been an altercation at a bar in Tampa on South Gandy, I believe, was it South Candy? Yeah, I think it was South Candy near, uh, or no, it was Gandy. No, it was Gandy Boulevard at South Del Mabry. 
And I just remember hearing that story and thinking how awful it sounded. Uh, and I continued on with, uh, with my day. I didn't really give it much thought. But again, the story was basically there was an altercation in the parking lot. Uh, someone had pretty much sucker punched him in the face. He fell backwards. Matt hit his head on some concrete because they were building the new extension of the Crosstown Expressway to connect to the Gandhi Bridge. And that had left a uh, concrete barrier in the middle of the roadway. And I, apparently he hit the back of his head on that. And um, this was like the Wednesday before that evening. I think it was like the 11th or 12th. I'm not sure exactly. But he hit his head and then he was declared brain dead on the 13th. And they, uh, the family decided at that point that they would take him off of life support. Oh, it's such a sad sad story and he um i mean his wife and children were left behind you know like just i just remember hearing Tanae talk about it and she was just so broken you know like um just all of his friends and his followers you know like he's just made such a huge impact in the community from what i've seen yeah. and from what i've heard and it's just such a tragic fast way too fast way to go and I mean, he's the same age as me, you know, like, it just kind of shows you like, you never know, like, life is too short. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I had heard that uh, Tanae arrived in Tampa, just after he had passed. And, um, you know, when you think about it, you don't sometimes you don't have time to say goodbye to your friends and those you love. And um, it really makes you think about how every day, needs to be special every day has to have meaning and that's something that matt has definitely taught me yes or at least his story yes because you have not actually met him face to face right like no i i never physically met matt okay so can you walk the audience through now like how what is this connection you have with him like how okay how... well i'm just be aware that I might start crying at this point. So just bear with me on this. Um, I mentioned I was sick and couldn't go to Atlanta with my husband and our friend Ben. And the reason for that is I had stage four heart failure. And I had received back in 2016, something called an LVAD, a left ventricular assist device. That was a titanium machine that ran my heart. It was attached to the bottom of my heart. It flowed the blood through my heart. There were external power cords that came outside of my abdomen into basically a computer and battery pack that I had to wear 24-7. Without it, I would die within 90 seconds. I had about a minute and a half if that battery ever died. So I had redundancy. I had two batteries and then two extra batteries in the pack with it. It was either in a backpack on my back or on a kind of fanny pack, kind of, I called it my man purse. <laughs> I would wear my man purse. So I couldn't really travel because I had to be near a hospital at all times. One, because if there was a problem with the device, I had to be very close to get help. The device had started failing, unfortunately, around 2017, a year into getting it it caused a stroke. So I had a stroke and it threw a blood clot into the right side of my brain. The left side went bad. 
Um, I had to learn to walk again. I had to learn to speak. I had to learn to type. I had to learn to paint again. But it was a fairly quick recovery. I was on the transplant list for a heart. I was taken off for 10 months while they waited for the stroke to heal because I could not go under the knife with a transplant while I had a brain injury. So once that healed, I was placed back on the transplant list late March of 2018. On February 14th, not February, April 14th, 2018, I received a phone call and I remember the exact time it was four o'clock in the afternoon. I was in the garage working on the castle and they said that they had found a heart donor and that the transplant was ready and that I needed to be in the hospital within a half an hour. I'm covered in sawdust, I'm sweaty, I've been working out in the garage. I can't take a shower with this machine without help because of the way the cords come out of your body and it's, it's electric, so you can't really take a shower without help. So I had to kind of, you know, do a quick sink bath and drive myself to the hospital in my truck because my family is in Atlanta. So my best friend, Marcus, Marcus Blake, and my brother, Ken, met me at the hospital and we got checked in and they started the plasma draw, which they have to take out all of your plasma and replace it to get rid of any antibodies to prepare for the transplant. At that point, Marcus's husband, George, called him and said, hey, remember on the news the other day, that artist, Matt Callahan, passed away. You know, I'm reading now that his family donated his organs. Is there a chance that David could be getting his heart? That was too wild. That was not, in my mind, that is not possible. Plus, I'm just a few hours away from getting a transplant. It's about now seven o'clock in the evening. Ty, my husband, Ben, they're racing back from Atlanta. Thank God they have a Dodge Charger that goes really fast. <laughs> so they've got to get there before I go into surgery, which they're estimating now about four in the morning. So turns out that, you know, they made it in time. Uh, I dismissed the idea that this could be Matt Callahan. What are the chances? I didn't even know where he was. I knew he had lived in Tampa, but he could be in a hospital anywhere. He may have donated his heart and they may have airlifted the heart already. And I was reminding them he died on the 13th. It's now the 14th. How is it possible? What happened was just before going into surgery, another friend from Chicago calls and said, hey, I think I know whose heart you're getting. Okay, tell me, who do you, how do you know this? I think it's Matt Callahan because there's stories on the news that his family has donated his organs. And I think he's at Tampa General. Well, I don't know how he knows this. And I'm like, I'm going into me. I mean, I, I, may, I may not survive this. So I'm like, just hang up. Don't talk to me. And, you know, everyone, all my friends are like texting, you know, you know, he's your size. Because to get a heart transplant, you have to be the same size. My doctor always said, you cannot put a VW engine into a Mack truck. I'm 6'2". Matt was, I think, 6'2 or 6'3". So at this point, we don't know for sure, but there's all this speculation. I go in. Uh, my husband walks me to the door of surgery. And 
my family is escorted to the waiting room where they waited from 4.30 in the morning till about 11 a.m. in the morning, and the transplant was successful. I remember waking up about, I think it was around three in the afternoon, and you know, you're all on morphine, and so you don't know what's going on, but I'm like waving at them in ICU through the glass, and I just remember the, one of the nurses yelling at me to put my hands down. You're not supposed to raise your hands because you've been cut open, and this is the second time I've been cut open because they had to put the machine in. So I was told that it took longer to take all the machinery out of me than it was, than it took to put the heart into me. So recovery began and it was a long process about, um, it took about six months to fully feel back to normal, if you can call it normal. Uh, But I was luckily only in the hospital for two weeks. But during that time, I would talk to my nurses and say, you know, I think I know who the donor is because I keep hearing these stories and I've done some research and, you know, they are not allowed to legally tell you. And they'd say, well, you've got to write a letter to the family. It gets delivered through a company called LifeLink here in Florida, who will deliver that letter to the family's doctor and the family's doctor will deliver it to them. And if they decide they want to hear from you, they'll write back. And it has to be completely anonymous. You can't say your name. You can't say anything other than, you know, at the time I was a 51-year-old male living in Apollo Beach, Florida. So they said normally they want you to wait six months before even considering writing the letter. Mm-hmm. Well, I wrote it like three weeks into the, in like a week after the hospital, I wrote the letter. Well, as it turns out, the friend from Chicago worked for a company that the it used to be here in Tampa and he was working remote this before COVID back in the days when remote was a luxury. He was working remote from Chicago, but he called me and said, Hey, I used to, when I was in Tampa, I sat next to a woman whose daughter knows this lady named Erica and Erica Callahan lost her husband and he donated his heart and they've been following you on Facebook secretly. And they think you have his heart. So I said, well, tell your friend to tell her daughter, this is weird, tell your friend to tell her daughter to tell Erica that I think I have Matt's heart. And so all of a sudden I start getting these friend requests on Facebook from people like Tanae and people that I don't know, but their only connection is that they were friends and family of Matt Callahan. So finally... I wrote the letter, you know, I'd already written the letter and I got an answer and it was brought to me. I had a checkup, I was getting a sonogram done of my heart and the doctor brings in the letter and he's like, this is for you, it's from the family. And this is where we cry. It was from Erica. Sorry. And Erica said, that she wanted me to know. Uh, Erica said she wanted me to know who Matt was and that she was certain that I had the heart because she was told that a 51 year old artist in Apollo Beach had received his heart and it was too much of a coincidence and it had to be me and that 
she wanted to meet me. And so we found each other on Facebook and started talking. Well, the thing is, you're supposed to legally go through LifeLink. And so I'm not telling LifeLink that I'm doing this. And they're supposed to get both Erica and I to sign a legal agreement that we will, that we will uh, respect each other's privacy. Well, we decided to circumvent it. So we met at a restaurant and Erica gave me this, which is the, uh, it's the program from Matt's funeral and it is his paintbrush. Wow. See that very well. So I was given his paintbrush by Erica and I met Matt's son, Logan, who was five at the time. But to date, we have not told Logan who I am. He only knows me as a friend of the family. When he's ready, when the family feels he's ready, we will we'll have a talk with him. So at that, that was, uh, I think, September of 2018. And then in November, we met the whole family at Thanksgiving at Matt's father's home in St. Petersburg. Mick Callahan, and just the most gracious person you've ever met. His family, his friends, so wonderful. Then in December, they had a uh, fundraising event at Coppertail Brewery, where his mural is on the outside of the building. And my family and I attended and got to meet. That's where I met Tanae for the first time in person. And, um, you know, brought a stethoscope for people to hear Matt's heart. The Aww. issue being there's lots of loud music, so nobody can hear it. So <laughs> we ended up resorting to people just putting their head on my chest to listen to Matt's heart. And, you know, that's when we started learning so much about who Matt was. And then I was at, um, actually, October of that year, I was at an event. Um, actually, no, let me correct that. I think it was April of the next year, so on the one-year anniversary I was at an event at Tampa General Hospital where they had different speakers of people who were donor families talking about their loved ones passing and how donation has helped others. And so I was there as a guest, as a recipient. And I was telling my medical team who was in attendance that I had met Matt's family. And this woman approaches me and she says, oh, hi, David. I'm your neighbor. I live down the street. How did you meet Matt's family? So I said, well, we found each other on Facebook. And I told her the story. She said, well, that's wonderful. She said, well, I'm the director of LifeLink. I'm, oh, no. <laughs> I was supposed to go through you guys. So I'm like, oh, wonderful. And you're my neighbor. What are the chances of that happening? <laughs> so I like excuse myself. And I'm like, oh, shoot, I'm in trouble now. But no, you don't really get in trouble. It's just... One of those things where I'm like, oh man, busted. Yeah. <laughs> so a, that's yeah. how I'm connected to Matt is I have his heart. That is such an incredible story. Oh my gosh. Like, I, what are the, ch I mean, that's why I said like, there's no other way to describe it, but God, you know, like how, how do you, how does this happen? And it gets weirder. I, I don't know if you want me to go into the coincidences. No, please it, do. Okay. So. <laughs> In learning about Matt, you know, I learned that he also paints in a style of, um, of the same painting style. He, he paints large murals. I paint large canvases. I don't paint murals. I've done murals in the past, but never the size of what Matt does. 
So we had that in common. He also does um, a lot of similar work. Like I, I'll use like that Russian yellow star in some of my paintings and so did he. If you look at his work, at, uh, if you go to manmademural.com and look at his work, you'll see a lot of um, a lot of the similar styles. And I told you my nickname is Bear. Well, he had an alter ego named Bear, <laughs> where he would literally put on like a, a costume like you'd see at a theme park <laughs> that was a bear head, and he would paint pictures of bears dressed as a bear. Oh my gosh. So when his family saw this picture, which was painted of a bear, and it's this is to honor my artificial heart. It's I don't know, I don't want to it says power through machines. And he's got a, if you can kind of see right here, he's got an artificial heart. Mm -hmm. So when his family saw that, they said, wait a minute. Matt's heart went to another artist, which is rare in itself. Apparently, the chances of the transplant patient and the transplant donor being in the same hospital at the same time is incredibly rare. Mm -hmm. uh, Erica, his wife, tells a story where she was on the, I believe she was on like the fourth floor of ICU uh, to spend her last night with Matt after they decided to make the donation because they had to keep him on the machines until, and I hate to use this word, but this is the technical term, until all the organs were harvested. I, I really don't like that word. It's difficult for me, but that's what, that's what they say. So she spent the night with him and she was woken up about four in the morning and told they were taking him down for surgery to transplant his heart. So she walked with his body to the operating room. At the same time, my husband, <laughs> At the same time, Ty is walking with me to the same operating room. There's a chance that they saw each other, but probably not. They probably timed it so that Matt was brought in before or after me. But I call it orbits. So imagine, get myself together. Imagine planets orbiting. Matt and I, while we were both living, would orbit each other and, and come close to each other, but never touch. So Erica tells a story of Matt proposed to her in New Orleans, and that was in 2008. And it was in front of that, I don't remember the name of the land, it's that big white church in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. And he proposed to her in front of the church. And she noticed on my Facebook picture, on my, on my Facebook photos, there's a picture of my friends and I, my friends Rick, Steve, and Martin, across the street, taking a picture in New Orleans at the same day and time the proposal was taking place. We were literally across the street from each other. That's crazy. And she told Tampa Bay Times in an interview that it is quite possible we passed each other on the sidewalk. And this is 10 years before, any, before I'm sick before any of us even can imagine this would happen. They were flown. So what happened that weekend was Hurricane Gustav was coming. First major hurricane after Katrina. So we're all evacuated. 
Mm -hmm. So we were placed on a uh, Southwest Airlines flight to Orlando to get out of there, to evacuate. And they were placed on a Southwest Airlines flight to Orlando to get out of there. We don't think it was the same flight, but again, we're orbiting. We were at the airport at the same time. We're on the same airline. These planets are getting very close to each other. I mentioned earlier, I would take a walk in Channelside and I watched this gentleman painting a mural. It was Matt. I walked right by him back in 2012. So my friend, Chef Art Smith, I have my picture taken 15 months before Matt dies in front of the mural that Matt had painted for Matt for uh, Chef Art Smith's restaurant. I went bowling at Splitsville and there was Matt's artwork. At age 18, I worked at Disneyland where Matt later on painted murals at downtown Disney, Disneyland, California. So there's all kinds of coincidences. The whole thing about he's got an alter ego named Bear. I've got a nickname Bear. We're painting bears in acrylic on canvas. Uh, this one's kind of a little creepy. The funeral home that took care of the arrangements was Blount and Curry. My last name is Curry. Slight, yeah, that's a stretch, but still it, it freaked me out a little bit. So lots of coincidences. The friend that worked for the insurance company who knew the mother of Erica's best friend, lots of coincidences. We both had the mutual friend, Chef Dart Smith, for many years. Um, I just can't begin to tell you, there's just so many coincidences. A friend of Matt's posted a picture of the snow in Seattle a few years ago. Um, I think it was 2019. He's like, look, it's snowing and his condo has this view of the Space Needle. So I like furiously go through my phone and get a picture of the snow I took in 2008 from my condo in Seattle, which faced his condo. Oh, and Matt's friend has a condo that where we could see each other's units from across the street. That's so, so crazy. Is that a coincidence? I don't know. I mean, I mean, there's so many little things that keep popping up where, you know, um, I'm going to be doing a podcast soon at the end of the month with, uh, it's called Sweat Equity. And Matt had done a podcast with them. And that's why I've been invited to be on their show because Matt had been on their show. And that's the only time I've heard Matt's voice is through this recorded podcast. But in that podcast, he mentions what a fan of Marvel he was. And then in talking to Law Smith, who runs the podcast, he said, oh, yeah, Matt was a huge Marvel comic fan. And you can kind of see, I mean, you can barely see here in the room. This is my Captain America room. If you look at the chair, it's an Avengers <laughs> chair. So, you know, huge Marvel fan. Again, kind of a stretch because who, you know, so many people are Disney and Marvel fans. But those connections, at least for me, feel very profound because inside of me lives Matt. Matt's heart continues to beat inside of me. And you probably just heard me right there. I said Matt's heart. It has taken me a long time to call it my heart. And Erica, Matt's wife, had asked at one point that I embrace the fact that it is now my heart. And that's been difficult for me, but mm -hmm. it's taken some time. It's taken some time to finally say 
my heart, but I, I still call it Matt's heart because it is his heart. It belongs to him too. You know, I, I think that there's there's all these little signs and connections and coincidences, as you call it. I mean, there's a reason for all of this somewhere, you know, like, and it there's purpose behind it, you know, and I love the fact that you guys are both really passionate artists. Like that to me is just amazing. And I know Matt, there's a, um, a scholarship program in his honor that really helps inspire young people to embrace their creativity. And um, I, I just see that as a, a way to keep his legacy going, you know, so if, if anyone wants to contribute to that cause, please do. I mean, it's just such an, and this story just really just emphasizes everything, you know, the, the purpose behind, be, behind everything. And it, it's just so tragic, but at the same time, I can't, you know, like, because here you are and look at how f amazing you look. Look at like, I mean, how are you feeling? You look like, oh, you look great. Yeah, I feel, I feel fine. Like as if nothing ever happened. You know, so I do, there are, the scars are there and that's my reminder, but I look at that. Those are like battle scars. You know, I, I earned those because I survived stage four heart failure. I, that right there is like, oh my gosh, like, and even it though, is tragic what happened to Matt, you know, it is. And but look at friend, the amazing thing that came out of it. Like your life got to, you get to live on, yes. you know? And, and I feel that I do owe that to him. I owe him, my art has to continue because I owe that to him. And I don't do it as necessarily as a living. I, I'm a corporate trainer and I, I do technical training and soft skills training, but I do my art almost every day because that is important to keep that part of Matt alive. That's very right. important to me. And I mean, it's part of you too. And you're extremely talented. Like, Same. don't ever stop. I, I can't wait to see more of your work. Thanks. Just such an incredible story. I I'm, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing it with everybody. Well, I appreciate um, you having me. Yes. And, you know, I hope that we can keep in touch. Like, um, Tanae and I were really great friends. And I know you're friends with her now. And Matt just has a huge network of really amazing people. And I just hope that network grows even regardless yes. of his passing you know yeah. and you mentioned it and I, I hope people do donate to Lemoyne Art Gallery I'm sure you'll put their information there for people to donate the scholarship program is very important for young artists high school artists in the uh, Florida plan Florida panhandle uh, where Matt grew up to uh, continue his legacy and to help others because I'll tell you, art school is expensive. Today I'll tell you, anyone that knew Matt will tell you, art school is extremely expensive. I never finished art school myself. I'm self-taught. But to have that opportunity is very important for so many people. So, yeah, definitely, definitely donate if you can. And also uh, look up Matt's work. You know, it's Man-Made Murals. Check them out. I know that one of his... Uh, fellow artists continues with that business and continues his legacy there. And again, my, my uh, website is brushlegacystudio.wixsite.com. So you can take a look at my own artwork that I've got out there. Most of what you'll see on there was created after the transplant in honor of Matt, though 
I'd say probably 25% of it was created uh, beforehand. So you can kind of see the, hopefully you can see my progression from where I've, where I was before Matt to where, you know, his, his passion is inside of me just comes out in my art now. That's amazing. And yes, I will drop all those links into the description so you guys can learn more. And again, David, thank you so much for sharing your story. Such a powerful story. And you look amazing. Um, yeah, I'm so glad you're here. And, you know, let's, let's continue to keep in touch, okay? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. Thanks, I, I'm, I'm honored. So thank you, everyone, for joining us on Dark Horse Matters yet another week. And um, just, you know, if you like this episode, please, you know, subscribe, share it with your friends, because these kind of stories really, really inspire me. And I just hope that it inspires you as well. So again, till next week, be passionate.